Praise the Lord, everybody. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. God truly is good. It is good to be back here in the sanctuary. I thank the Lord for our praise team who has come out to be with us here. Uh, just a portion of the praise team that is, uh, that's come out as we move to return to some level of normalcy in our worship. It's good not to be sitting at a table delivering God's word. I know I've been uh, looking at some of the posts. Uh, we're having some technical difficulties. If it's cutting out on you, we are recording and will broadcast this later today. So if you're not able to get it now, you will be able to get it later. Uh, as soon as the service is over, we will um, get the video processed and get it rebroadcast on the website, on Facebook, and our multiple platforms, our, YouTube, our uh, Roku channel as well. So we're just excited as we work through this. Uh, I think maybe the internet here is just not used to getting used. It ain't been used in a while. So maybe it's just just getting a little bit used to uh, streaming some live stuff again. But God is able. Amen? Uh, it was good to hear Dr. Brent Davis over there singing and playing. Hallelujah. Singing and playing. Good to have our brother Tony back on the keyboards, our brother BJ on the drums. We thank the Lord for them, for uh, Cynthia Dennis, Jocelyn McLaughlin, um, LaRonda Davis, and uh, Elder Sean Marshall being here with us today. And for those authorities that may be watching, we are socially distancing in the house of God, and there's only but eight of us here. So we're under the number, amen, and we've got plenty of space to spread out, amen. I do want to uh, just impart a word into your spirit today uh, that God has been dealing with me. We've been talking to the Lord, and over the last few weeks, I've heard repeatedly the word revival. I'm continuously hearing God talk about revival in my spirit. Uh, but it's not like the revivals of old. Uh, it's something different about this revival that God is loosing in the atmosphere of his body today. We are truly living in the end times, and the Bible declares that in those last days, he is going to pour out his spirit. And any time the spirit of God is poured out upon man, there is a revival that takes place. And I'm looking forward to that which is to come, and my assignment today is to build a foundation for which the revival that God is pouring out will be able to take root in your life. Amen? Something that God wants us to understand about this revival, this revival is more of a revival in our understanding of who He is, our connection to Him. Many of us have put God in a box. Many of us have determined that God is just the God of our salvation. That God, uh, his only purpose was to send his son so that he could redeem mankind. And that somehow this is the only relationship that we have with him. 
And God wants us to understand this could not be further from the truth. He is more than just your salvation. As a matter of fact, salvation is just the uh, entry point to your eternity. It is not the fulfillment of your eternity. And it's important that we understand that. Uh, turn with me in the Word of God. I'm going to give you three texts that God has laid on my heart. And we're going to talk about these as we build this foundation. James, the second chapter, the 23rd verse. Genesis, the 22nd chapter, the 16th through the 18th verse. And finally, the book of John, the 8th chapter, the 3rd through the 11th. I will read these for your hearing. James 2 and 23. And the scripture was fulfilled, which saith, Abraham believed God, and it was imputed unto him for righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. I want you to underline that phrase, the friend of God. It's important that we understand God is restoring us to right relationship with him. And relationship has to be seen in a two-way view not just the one-way view we've been looking at the relationship that we have with God, his salvation and love to us, as if we have nothing to give back. God clearly states in James 2 and 3 that because of Abraham's faith, he was called the friend of God. Genesis 22 and 16 uh, starts out uh, 16 through 18 says and said by myself have I sworn saith the Lord for because thou hast done this thing and hast not withheld thy son thine only son that in blessing I will bless thee and in multiplying I will multiply thy seed as the stars of the heaven and as the sand which is upon the seashore and thy seed shall possess the gate of his enemies and in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because thou hast obeyed my voice. Finally, the book of John, the 8th chapter, the 3rd through the 11th, reads like this. And the scribes and Pharisees brought unto him a woman taken in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they say, they say unto him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned, but what sayest thou? This they said, tempting him that they might have to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground as though he heard them not. So when they continued asking him, he lifted up himself and said unto them, He that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground, and they which heard it, being convicted by their own conscience, went out one by one, beginning at the eldest, even unto the last. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus had lifted up himself and saw none but the woman, he said unto her, Woman, where are those thine accusers? Hath no man condemned thee? She said, No man, Lord. And Jesus said unto her, Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. 
God has been telling me to prepare his people for revival. So I'm here today to prepare you for revival because revival is here. God wants me to remind you about two things that are going to help you catch the wave of revival that he's releasing in his body today. These are two vital foundations of our Christianity. They are faith and worship. It seems at the core of what's going on in society today, these very foundations or critical aspects of the foundation of our Christianity are at attack, are under attack right now because of the coronavirus. Our faith, because we've seen even those in the body of Christ affected, and our worship, because it seems like many of us have gotten to a place where we cannot worship God unless we're in a sanctuary. And God wants to remind us that these are critical core elements of the revival that he is going to loose in the land. Now, theologically, there is a distinct difference between these two, but I see in Scripture that there is an interconnectivity of these two foundational tenets of our own belief system. I see that my faith in some way helps my worship, and my worship returns the favor because it also helps my faith. As a matter of fact, they are actually so interconnected, it is difficult to see my faith without seeing my worship or to see my worship without seeing my faith. They are so fit together that if you were to harm my faith, you would bring harm to my worship. And we're seeing this take effect in the land today. And if my worship is hindered, then it has an adverse effect on my faith. They are actually working together, and they are singular in focus, and that singularity is pointed at one thing, and that one thing is God. True faith is not believing for a thing, but rather it is believing in God. Since my faith really has nothing to do with things, then true worship is not the spontaneous combustion over what is going on in my life that I see as being good, but rather it is the spontaneous combustible explosive result of the God who is my life. God simply is, and he deserves my worship, if for no other reason than just that he is, that he is. So then the target of my faith is that it might please God, and the target of my worship is God. This is where many of us have forgotten our place because... Uh, have forgotten our place because of our misguided and self-centered focus uh, uh, of grace. Elder Marshall... Hallelujah. We, 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 we have this misguided, self-centered focus of the spirit of grace or the move of grace in the body of Christ. So when we approach God, we can never forget that he is God. And because he is God, we are at an immediate deficit. We, it's really hard for us to really understand God because he is so God. And despite what many of us may think, we are so not God. It's vital for us to understand that God is so God that without 
him wanting us to know him, uh, there would be no way for us to have even ever known him. He is so in a class by himself uh, that he is not just the greatest of any group, uh, but he is a group all unto himself. He is not the goat of creation. He is the goat of all goats. In actuality, because we are so not God, God is almost in a way struggling to communicate who exactly he is when he speaks to us. Because he is so unlike everything else, we have no point of reference for comparison. As a matter of fact, if you look at Scripture, you'll find that throughout Scripture, God tries over and over to give us a glimpse into who and what he is. Uh, he's described himself like wind, but we know he's not wind. He's described himself uh, like fire, but he's more than just fire. He's described himself like rain, but he's more than rain. He's more than these things. Sometimes he's a tent. Sometimes he's a tabernacle. Sometimes he's a ram. Sometimes he's a dove. Sometimes he's a priest. Sometimes he's a prophet. Sometimes he's a parable. It's as if he's trying to give us a glimpse into who he is, but he wants us to understand that when we begin to grasp the glimpse, he is still more than that. God wants us to know that he is holy, that he is God. Now, one of the meanings of the word holy is simply to be separated and entirely different from all other beings and things. He's not like us. So what God is saying is all of these glimpses which point to him still do not define him. I am not that, but God still desires for us to know him. So he tells us uh, that he's the creator of all things. But he doesn't want us to get the story twisted. Because even though he is the creator, he is more than that which he has created. He's not a rock. He's not a bird. He is not a plant. He's not a moon. He's not a sun. He's not a star. So what God is saying is that he is not a part of the thing he is creating. I am holy. In other words, I am different than. I am other than. I am above all, which is to say that he is not subject to the thing that he created. God is saying that he can create something and make us subject to it, but he does not have to be subject to the very thing that he has created. Like the potter who deals with clay, he stands on the outside of the wheel to mold the clay, but he's not getting on the wheel to be molded by the clay that he is molding. This then leads me to the understanding that as we are bound by things does not mean God is bound by the same things. We are bound by things like gravity. As much as Elder Marshall likes to think he can fly, he is still bound by gravity. We are bound by time. 
But God is not bound by gravity and God is not bound by time. As a matter of fact, God created this thing called time and he put us in this thing called time. He gave us a season called a lifetime so that he could redeem us in time before he takes us back out of time to be with him where there is no time. But God is still not bound by the time that we are in. God created laws so that we could know something about him, that he is the God of order and the God of authority. It is the establishment of order over chaos uh, that lets you know something greater than the chaos is at work. You see, if God becomes bound by the laws that he created, then the laws become God and God becomes less than the laws that he created. So God comes to show us that the laws are in place, but he is still above the law. So Jesus walks on water. Why? Because he wants us to see something about himself. He's not bound by the laws which he created. Because we know that everything that was created was created by the word. So when the word spoke and water came to be, Jesus was able to walk on the water because he's not bound by his creation. He's not bound by the things that he has created. We think that a couple of fish and a few loaves of bread can only feed a few folk, but God wants us to see something about himself, and he shows us because he's not bound by those same laws, uh, he can feed thousands with just a little. We are bound by the law of our supply, but God is not bound by that law. As a matter of fact, the word says that it is appointed unto man once to die and then the judgment. Now, God says that is for us, but let me show you how this works for him. Jesus says, Lazarus, come forth. And here a dead man gets up and walks out of the grave because God is not bound by even death. What God is trying to get us to understand about him is that our faith can really work and our worship can really count. It's by describing what he is not. So God says, I am not a man. And let me start right there. I'm not good like you're good. Your goodness is your goodness, but God's goodness is God's goodness. Uh, his ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. I am not a man that I should lie. This is important because it keeps the frame of reference beyond us. And this is where Greek mythology fails. Their, their gods are just really super men, super women. They're not truly gods. I don't know if you've ever watched any of the uh, Greek mythology movies. If a god can die... It ceases to be a God. Like God is really just a man with extraordinary characteristics. So what God is saying is that when he looked to his left, uh, there was nobody there. And when he looked to his right, there was nobody there either. He is simply God all by himself. There's not a consortium of gods. There is but one God. There was nobody to such a degree that when God went to swear, 
There was nobody that he could hold himself accountable to, uh, so he had to just swear by himself. God is not faithful to keep his word to you because of you, because if he decided that he wasn't going to keep his word, there is absolutely nothing you could do about it. So God's not faithful because he keeps his word to you. God is just faithful because when he did not have to bind himself to his word, he swears by himself and keeps his own integrity. Let me break this down just a little bit. The Bible does not teach us that God is extremely intelligent. It teaches us that God knows all things. So God then does not have to learn anything, nor is he learning right now. As every hour passes, he's not learning new things. God knows all things. You and I go to higher, to schools of higher education to expand our knowledge. God's knowledge cannot be expanded Because it knows all things. God does not study. God does not go to college. He doesn't go to these institutions of higher learning. God simply knows. God is not trying to figure stuff out. I might be trying to figure out what some of you look like uh, under your mask that you're wearing right now, whether you're with me or not. But God doesn't have to do that. God just knows stuff. The Bible does not teach that God is real strong. The Bible teaches that God has what? All power. The Bible teaches us that God has all power. Not some power, not a little power, not a lot of power, but all power. And that means that God works without the expenditure of effort. God does not have to conjure up. A miracle. He does not have to get ready to do anything. He does not have to go to a training camp to get prepared to carry out a task. It does not take anything for God to do everything. We rest when we get tired, but God rests when he gets finished. Matter of fact, he says, behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? God has All power. God is not getting there quickly. God's not jumping on the express train. God is just everywhere at the same time, all of the time. Some of you keep running from God only to find that where you are running to, God is already there. The Bible does not only teach us that God is everywhere, it tells us that God fills all things. So he fills all time and all space. God is not in your yesterday and then moving into your tomorrow. God is standing in one place and filling all of your yesterdays and all of your todays and all of your tomorrows all at the same time. The Bible teaches that everything that that exists exists because God said so. Now, you and I, we live in a universe. Something that has come from one verse, one word, 
out of the mouth of God. He spoke one thing and everything that is came into existence simply because he said so. God is not only active at the beginning of creation, but everything that is continues to be as God created it to be because God is actively involved in making sure that every created thing is being what he created it to be. That is what it means in Hebrews where it says in Hebrews 1 and 3, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power when he had by himself purged our sins sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high God's trying to get you to see something God is still governing his creation and everything that he created to be what he created it to be is still being what he created it to be I don't care what you do to it. I don't care how you change it. It is still what God created it to be. He does this on purpose. What's the purpose, Pastor? I'm glad you asked. I'm going to tell you. He does this because he does not want grass to become water. He doesn't want water to turn into trees. He doesn't want clouds to become rocks. And he doesn't want monkeys to become humans. Everything is as God called it to be, and they continue to be what he created it. So what God wants us to see is that he exists in a realm that is without need. As a matter of fact, God has never known need. God does not need air to breathe. God does not need water to drink. He does not need a planet to walk on. He does not need angels to do his work. In fact, you ought to hold on to your neighbor. God doesn't need you. I'm not saying that God doesn't love you because he does love you, but God does not need you. This is very important for us to understand because without understanding this, we are left thinking that all of this is solely about us. You see, God does not need your praise. He knew he was God before you ever learned the words to a praise song. God doesn't need your worship. God exists without need. He's not reliant upon you to exist. God does not need angels to tell him that he is holy as if at some point he might forget that that is who he is. As a matter of fact, he's the one that created the angels and taught them to declare his holiness. I know what you're thinking. If God then exists in a realm without need, then why did he create us if he didn't need us? Well, the answer is the daily double. The only reason God would create us and not create us out of a sense of need is because God desires you and I. As a matter of fact, the few of you that are here ought to look at your neighbor and tell your neighbor, God desires you. 
So even though God didn't need us, he wanted us. God wanted you. You were not a mistake. You were not an accident. You were not a oops. You were on purpose because God wanted you. He desired you. So then maybe God created us not because he needed us to give him something, but because there is so much of him that he wanted to give to something. So he created something that he could give himself to. I've said all of this because I believe that when God looked at his creation, it revealed to us and to him that God wanted to create something in the course of existence that could worship him, but he created us to worship him by giving us the capacity of wonder. You see, God desires to be worshipped by a creature that has the capacity of all. That has the ability to have their minds blown. Or to have the wig blown off. If you look at all of creation, it's important that you understand this. If you look at all of creation, man is the only creature that has been created that can experience awe and wonder. No other created thing has the capacity to be in awe. A bird doesn't sit in a tree watching the sunset and go, In human words, wow. It's not what a bird does. I remember when my wife and I went to Hawaii not too many years ago. We stood at the edge of the beach and we watched as the sun seemingly set into the water. And we were standing there in sheer awe and wonder as if we had never seen the sunset. We were captivated by what we were seeing. The beauty, the power of it. Knowing that the sun was not actually going into the water, but because of the perspective view that we had from where we were standing and how the sun and the earth were related to each other, it appeared as if the sun disappeared. Later on in that same trip, we stood on the top of Haleakala Volcano, 10,135 feet in the air. And as we stood at the edge of this volcano, you looked and it appears as if you were above all things. Clouds were beneath you. And when the sun rose, it appeared as if it was coming from beneath us to a height above us, even though the whole time it was above us. But we were in awe and wonder at what we were seeing. You know, a fish spends its whole life in the ocean, swims around from day to day, never taking a pause to think to itself, man, 
God really laid this ocean out for me. But when I looked from the balcony of the cruise ship that I was on into the vastness of the sea, I began to remember and think that even all of this is beyond our capacity to understand and stood in awe of the greatness of God's power to create and sustain all of it. So even in, in these instances when uh, my wife and I stood to see these wonders that were created by God, I'm reminded that God created us with the capacity to see these things and to see what God has done. And we can stand there with our mouths open and just say, wow, what a mighty God we serve. I see now that God will just do things to provoke the wonder and the wow and the awe of his people. As a matter of fact, I believe that God is driving us to a wow factor in this revival that he's loosing in the land. It is said that there are some 350,000 galaxies, most of which have never been able to be seen until the invention of the Hubble telescope. So why would God create all of that? I think God was waiting for us to get smart enough so that when we could look out there, we could still stand in awe and be like, wow. We are not the center of the universe. As a matter of fact, if you think about it, whether you look into outer space or inner space, whether you study the universe or you study the human DNA code, anything that God has made, you can get lost in it. There are people who dedicate their entire lives to the study of just one thing, never fully getting it all figured out. What God is saying is I want you to know that I am so awesome. What I want you to know is that I am so wonderful. What I want you to know is that I did all of this and I want somebody to be in awe of who I am. I believe that part of the purpose of those who walk by faith is to as long as we have breath that we exalt the name of God in this world that he has made and not live in our lives as if God does not exist. I believe that we are in the process of syncing up with God. God is moving us into a higher level of understanding of our uh, relationship with him of the desire that he has the bible tells us before the fall of adam that adam walked with god in the cool of the day in the garden the purpose was to have an interactive relationship a back and forth a give and take relationship where we both gave and received from god I believe that we are in the process of syncing up with God. I've told this story before. My wife and I both have iPhones, and after we updated the operating system, we joined our phones to the same iPhone cloud account. So we started to get each other's text messages. And we were confused by the conversations in the text that we that we were coming in getting because we did not know the phones were synced to that level. The phones were on one agenda and we were not on the same agenda. 
I believe that God is trying to get us synced up so that we can be on one plan, get on one agenda, so that as we live our life, we are notified of just how awesome God is. Even when um, he did not, even when he did not and we did not ourselves start a conversation. You see, we serve a God that can't be exaggerated. You know, sometimes when I talk to Elder Marshall, he exaggerates. And the more you let him tell you the story, the grander the story gets. I, I see it with all the head shaking. We've all shared this experience. He exaggerates, makes it more interesting. And the more, he, the more he tells it, the more you start like listening and it becomes more intent and, and, and you're buying into it. And it's like, wow, I can't wait to figure out how this story ends. Yeah, I mean, he just he, he hooks you, he, he locks you in and he's got your attention and he's, he's just telling you, all, he, but he's exaggerating. Uh, but God says, I don't care how big you make me, I'm still bigger than that. I don't care how much you exaggerate me, I'm still bigger than that. I don't care how strong you think I am, I'm still stronger than that. I don't care how awesome you think I am, I am still more awesome than that. I know you think I'm a healer, but I am way more than that. I know you think I'm a deliverer, but I am way more than that. I know you think I'm the creator, but I am way more than that. I know you think I sent my son to die on the cross so that you can be redeemed, but I am way more than that. I know you know my love for you is unconditional, but it's way more than that. You see, this is very important because we live in a culture now where the church thinks that everything is about them. That is why we show up when we feel like it. We give when we feel like it. We praise God when we feel like it. We come with attitudes. We, 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 we think nothing moves until we get there. But let me burst your bubble. Church is not about you. It's all about God. And if we then, the church, are the church then we should be all about God. You see, if you decide not to come to church, this church won't cease to be. But if God decides not to show up, then we don't even have a church to come to. I'm not trying to teach you how to serve you, but rather I'm teaching you how you can serve God. It can't be about you. It's got to be about him. This is his house. This is his world. He is the author and the finisher of it all. It's all about God. Now, when we look at Abraham... We see that he is in a system of Babel, but he is hearing from God. You see, Babel is the system of the lesser trying to invade the greater. 
as if you have the ability to crash in on God's realm, but God refuses to be invaded. God is not a subject matter. God is not your science project. God is not something that you can dissect on a laboratory table. But Babel says, we shall ascend into the heavens. We are going to build something that reaches into the God zone. The problem with man is that we were not designed to carry the true weight of worship. Only God can handle worship. The reason we see so many people, especially in the entertainment industry, who seemingly have everything but their lives fall apart is because God did not make man to be worshipped. You're not strong enough. And when people begin to worship you, it crushes you under the weight of their worship because you were not built to receive worship. You were built to give. Worship. Even the angels can't handle the weight of worship. Think about the things that I've taught you concerning the fall of Lucifer. Lucifer thought he was strong enough to carry the weight of worship, even though he was created to be the conduit of worship. He was the element for which worship would flow to God. Worship flowed through his created being to God, but he wanted the worship to come to him, not go through him. But here in Babel, they said, we're going to build a tower. That tower is going to ascend into the heavens. We will make a great name for ourselves, and then you will know the story. You, you all know what happened next. God goes down and does a God thing. You see, in this time, they all spoke the same language. So what does God do? He does what only God can do. Those who could communicate no longer had the ability to communicate as he frustrated their language. He divided their language. And in the middle of all that, Abraham being a grown man on a word from God, God said, get out of this system unto a land that I will show you. So when I walk by faith, I don't have to know where it is I'm going. All I need to know is that where I am going is. So God says, I will make your name great. I will bless you. I will bless those that bless you. I will curse those that curse you. I will make your seed great. I will bless you coming in and I will bless you going out. So then faith takes me out of the system. In my mind and in my heart, I have to say to myself, I need to leave the system that says I'm going to live in the world that God created and yet live as if there is no God or live as an atheist. You can believe there is a God, but live your life like there isn't one. You can come to church like there's a God, but live your life like there isn't one. You refuse to give God what he deserves. You refuse to worship him. You've lost your sense of awe and wonder. You begin to think God has revolved 
this thing around you. And, and now God is trying to make all of your dreams come true rather than you coming to worship him. You, you think that the whole purpose of your relationship with God is, is for God to satisfy you. You lose the sense of awe and wonder of who God is. So when a pandemic hits, you lose your sense of awe and wonder about God, and you divert your awe and wonder on a pandemic that is less than God. You move your awe to something that is less than the God you proclaim lives in you. You get twisted. Your mind gets frustrated by the things that are going on, by the things that you see. And you allow the things that you see to supersede the things that you know of the God you declared is great and mighty. And you're frustrated. You're perplexed. And you're looking to man for the answer. You celebrate the limited knowledge rather than worshiping all knowledge. Seeking God's direction in the things that you ought to do. Now watch Abraham. In the middle of Abraham's leaving, you know that he brings Lot along, but he does not want to have any stuff between him and, and, and Lot, so at a point during their journey, they part company. And Abraham goes one way, and Lot goes the other. And in this concept of the interconnectivity of our faith and worship, we must learn how to bring ourselves out of strife. Now, there are several of you here filled with strife in the name of religion. You've become mean harsh and ugly, condemning and very bitter. Everywhere you go, you end up in strife. If Jesus did not come to condemn the world, what makes you think you have the right to condemn the world or anyone in it? This does not mean that we don't speak truth. We just don't condemn, but we bring them out of strife. Now watch this. When Abraham is about to sacrifice his son of promise, God says, because you have not withheld your son, which was Abram's everything, I'm going to bless you. You see, there is a definable reason behind why the blessing comes. Many of us are struggling because we have not broken the spirit of withholding. We can't understand the fullness or the awe of God because we keep withholding from God. The problem is we come to church and we withhold our praise. We withhold our hearts. We withhold our tithe. We, we withhold our offering. We withhold our attention. Our attention is on everything else but God. So what we are actually saying is that what we withhold uh, from God does not have the, that, that God does not have the right to lay claim to it. But it is when you stop withholding that God will begin to open up and bless you in ways that you have not yet even imagined. 
Because as big as you think your imagination is, God's blessing is still bigger than that. Now let me, let me close with this. We have put God in this box of just salvation. That God, the only connectivity between he and I is our salvation, our deliverance, our healing. But God is way more than that. God saved you for a reason. God saved you because he wants to have relationship with you. How many of you here just today with me are in a relationship with somebody? Now, everybody should have raised their hands because you've got kids. Everyone in here either has kids, a boyfriend or a girlfriend, um, or a mother or father. So everybody's hand should have gone up. You're in relationship with somebody. It's amazing how we limit relationship to just being, you know, a hookup. Everyone in here is in relationship. Everyone that's in a relationship understands that no relationship survives when the relationship is only about one person involved in that relationship that relationship fails. Relationships are successful when the relationship incorporates the two of them. Why does God walk with Adam in the cool of the day? If he does not want to have a real relationship with Adam, a relationship that involves two people. Adam sharing with God and God sharing with Adam. God knows all things. We understand this about God. He's uh, omniscient. There's nothing that he does not know. Yet when God created the animals, even though God knew what the animals should be named, what does God do? Because he's in relationship with Adam, he brings his creation to Adam so that Adam might name them. And the Bible declares that whatever Adam called them, that is what they were. He brought lion. He brought an animal. And Adam said lion, and that's what it was. He brought an animal. Adam said bear, and that's what it was. He brought an animal. And Adam said uh, goat, and that's what it was. So on and so forth. Adam names. Why? Because God enjoys his creation of man to have a relationship with him where man has a part. God doesn't just bring Adam and say, look, you sit here and shut up. You know, like we do our kids. Sit, you better not move. Don't make a sound. Then you break out the switch. I know you go to jail for that now, but that's not God. That's not the relationship he wants with us. He wants your 
input. What does God do? He functions in the world through what? Who does God function in the world through? Through us. So then, as he demonstrates who he is to the world, he didn't need to do it through us. He could have just appeared in the parking lot. A great light. And stuff just start happening. But that's not what he does. Why? Because he's in relationship with us. He wants us to have a part in the things that he is doing. You've heard the expression that people you meet, you might be the only God they ever meet. They're not talking about you. Or that phrase doesn't mean you being God, but it is the God in you because you're in right relationship with him. You ought to be able to demonstrate who God is, and that's the only God that these people will ever see. Is how the phrase goes. Why? Because you're in a relationship with God. God wants you to understand that he is more than the things that we have limited him to be. My belief, my faith, my worship in God being a healer means that it doesn't matter what new disease comes on the scene. I know that my God is more than that. He's more than just a, a healer. As a matter of fact, because he's more than a healer, then I have a spiritual immunity to the things that are in the atmosphere because if God is alive in me, and the life I live, I live now by the power of God, and God is not bound by his creation, but the virus is created as a result of created things, but God sits above created things, then I'm not at the cross on my knees begging for healing, I'm seated with Christ at the right hand of God above all these things. So in essence, the virus is beneath my feet. At work, my boss asked me to have a plan in place in case I were, were to be succumb to the virus and not able to go to work. They wanted me to train somebody, to get somebody up to speed on all the different things that I do at my job. And I looked at my boss and I told my boss, without hesitation, without skipping a beat, that is not necessary. My boss said, why? I said, because I am immune from this virus. As a matter of fact, I tell you right here as I'm sitting here, I will not catch this virus to where I will not be able to perform my duty. And he kind of looked at me and twisted his head. Didn't really know how to take it. And I, I told him, I said, I'm not playing. I'm not joking. I'm being serious right now. Because I know something that he did not know. I understood something that he 
could not understand. I know the God that I am in right relationship with. And because I understand my position in God, I am above all these things. So I have no fear of these things. I don't let these things dictate who I am or my behavior or how I'm going to interact with them because authority and power are in me. The virus is chaos. Chaos is just waiting for order. So then I am the order to control that chaos. We keep looking to the governors and to the doctors and to everybody else to control that chaos, and all we're finding is more chaos. Because the only thing that has enough power to bring chaos into order is the thing that also carries authority, and all authority has been given to the Son. And if all authority has been given to the Son, then when chaos comes towards me, it turns into order. And that's why I'm immune. That's why I move throughout my day and do the things really to satisfy other people, but not because I'm in fear myself. I wear a mask to satisfy other people. Some stores you can't even go into without a mask, and there are things in that store I want. So I just wear a mask. I wear a mask because the authorities will dictate that you have to wear a mask in some instances and cases. And in case the authorities show up, I don't want them catching me out of order. So I do what I'm supposed to do according to the authority that's been set over me. And that is the only reason that I do it. It's not because I am concerned. I won't even use the word fear. It's not because I'm not concerned because I'm not concerned about catching this virus. I'm not concerned at all. I could care less about this virus because I know the God that I serve. And I know that he's able to keep me because I'm in right relationship with him. And as Hezekiah said, how can I praise you if I'm dead? And we know God extended the life of Hezekiah. Because Hezekiah understood something about his relationship with God. He understood that there's a two-way exchange. Job said, it doesn't matter. Even if he slays me, I'll still trust him. Because he understood there is a two-way exchange in the relationship between God and man and man and God. Get off your knees before an empty cross. 
Stop going to the grave site of an empty tomb. Because Jesus is not dying on the cross. And Jesus is not buried in the tomb. But Jesus is alive. And when I visit Jesus, I don't go to where he was. I go to where he is. It does you no good to go to where something used to be if you're trying to get something from that thing right now. I can't get anything from where something used to be. I can only possess what I am looking for if I go to where it is right now. Jesus died on the cross to introduce me to eternity. But my eternity is not wrapped around the cross. My eternity is wrapped around his resurrection, his continued existence. We as the people of God have to begin to understand this relationship that we have with him so that we can enjoy the fullness of this revival that God is releasing. Revival. A reigniting of the awe and wonder of God. So that when the world looks at the church in the midst of all that is going on, they see a people who look like they've lost their mind of people who are full of joy and happiness. Because we understand who we are and who he is. We understand our relationship with God. And understanding that elevates us above everything that is ultimately beneath us. You are unique and special. 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 And you are Sean Marshall. <laughs> unique and special. And God wants you to understand that. God wants you to understand that. You are special in the eyes of God. So special that he wants to have a relationship with you. He wants to talk to you. He wants the conversation with you to not always be about what you need but just simply a conversation. Just having a talk with God. Letting him understand and know that you understand and know what this relationship is all about.
God didn't save you for nothing. He saved you because he loves you. And because he loves you, he wants you involved in the relationship that he has with you. The moment you begin to allow God to move in your life with this level of understanding, you'll begin to possess the revival that he has released. And you'll begin to see things differently. You'll hear things differently. You'll interact with things differently. God is worthy of your praise. He is worthy of your awe, your wonder, your adoration. I don't have time to get into where I was going to go with John, but know this. God desires you. He doesn't need you. We need God. He doesn't need us. He wants us. I'd rather be with somebody that wants me than somebody that just needs me. Somebody that just satisfies some specific function or desire in my life. But somebody that just wants me beyond what I'm capable of just wants me. beyond what you're capable of. He doesn't want you, LaRonda, because you have a beautiful voice that sounds like an angel. He wants you just because he desires to be in relationship with you. He desires to be in relationship with you so much that he gave you the gift of song. He tickled your voice box to produce melody because he loves you, because he wants to be in relationship with you. So he gifts you to give something back to him. Because in and of ourselves, we're incapable of providing God with anything. So God enables us to be a part of the equation. So he gifts you with song and then you can then sing back to him even as he sings to you. A two-way relationship. God bless you, people of God. I pray that this word settles in your heart and get you to a place of understanding who you are in him and who he is in you. 
We will continue this next Sunday, this format where we will praise God in song and deliver the word. Until such a time as the authorities here in the earth allow the assembling together again of people. But in that day, in that day, we will come into this place with a praise in our mouth. With one purpose and one goal. And that is to worship our God. In the beauty of unity. Of the body of Christ. Together again. My hope and prayer is that the authorities in this state. Will allow us to gather together again. Will things be different as far as the closeness that we may stand to one another? Who knows? But what I want to be different is the praise. What I want to be different is the heart condition. What I want to be different is the mindset. What I want to be different is the desire to be in a place where the Spirit of God has come. That we might sing and dance and shout and give God the glory and then be fed by a word from Him and go into our respective homes and places as a bolt of energy that infests our very surroundings so that we become the thing people catch. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I ask that those that are tuning in, that you continue to pray for Bishop Kenneth Lyseth, he is still clinging to life that we pray God extend his days because he has not transitioned it is in my heart that he must want to go on here and I join with my brother in prayer fighting for life Because I know the God in him is life. And if he could extend the days of Hezekiah, he can extend the days of Kenny. If he can raise Lazarus from the dead, he can speak life back into Kenny. Even if it's that we are all in awe and wonder. At his awesome power. Hallelujah.
We speak life. We speak life. We speak life. In the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. God bless you. Heaven smile upon you. And grant to you great peace. Bless, Father, this congregation. Establish it. Move it. Ignite it. Set it on fire. Call it back together again. That in this place we might praise your holy name. Father, I ask that you fill the house. Because I have no fear that anything will be transferred. Except your grace, your praise, your truth, your power, your anointing. In the name of Jesus, disinfect this house. Disinfect this house. Of all things not like you, bring us back together again. In Jesus' name.